welcome to Detoxicity. This is Mike Joseph. I am the host and producer of this show. I hope that you are well. COVID-19 is still a thing, and I hope that you are protecting yourself and others, and that you are safe and healthy. Make sure you are wearing a mask. I want to give a shout out to all of my LGBTQIA plus people. It is Pride Month. I hope that you are celebrating uh, in a <laughs> obviously different way than we may have celebrated in the past, but celebrating and being proud of yourself no matter what. I want to give a shout out to all of my brothers and sisters going through the struggle right now, who are on the streets protesting, who are donating money, who are writing letters, who are changing the game right now. Laws are changing. The world is changing at a more rapid rate than has ever been. And we are in a unique position of being able to really fight and win in terms of making this world a better and more equal place for ourselves, for our kids, for our families, for our loved ones, for our friends. Let's make sure we keep this fight up. Don't put your foot off the gas. Make sure that you are contributing however you can contribute. Make sure that you vote in November. And even after that, like all of this doesn't go away, away with an election, which some people are saying, make sure that you educate yourself, that you are aware of whatever privilege you possess. Uh, make sure you learn and practice empathy, how other people may experience the world differently from you. And all of that combined will change your life for the better and it will change other people's lives for the better. My guest for this particular show is Christopher Cruz. Uh, Christopher is a designer and a tech pro and he owns a label and he's a musician and we talk about all sorts of stuff. Uh, we talk about the fact that he switched careers and his location last year, uh, doing a complete uproot from the East Coast to the West Coast. So we talk about how that's going and how that has changed his life. Uh, we talk about uh, moving into a positive relationship from a negative relationship. We talk about having a strong female figure. He grew up with a very strong mom and parents who encouraged him to think freely. Uh, we talk about pursuing your passion professionally and how that may affect you for the positive or for the negative. Uh, we talk about achieving a work-life balance and what that means to him. And we also talk about racism. Christopher is a Latinx male and has certainly experienced his share of racism and uh, prejudice in his life. So uh, check out this conversation and let us know what you think. And we'll provide you with the means to do that at the end of the show. Chris Cruz, everybody. So, um, my name is Christopher Cruz. <laughs> Getting formal. Uh, yeah, I know, right? Get, <laughs> you want my, I was uh, born and raised in New York City. I'm a New Yorker completely at heart. Um, now residing out here in California. Um, uprooted, moved to the Bay Area. Leaving the, the music industry and, and going into the tech industry, which is one of the biggest changes I think I've ever had. But uh, the one thing that it, it led me to really discover is... is uh, uh, you know, I, you know, my passions were, were very much so in being creative and making art. Um, and, you know, this is something that like, I've kind of, I went to school for art, you know, I went to school in high school, went to LaGuardia high school for art. I went to college for art. So coming out of this and, you know, working in a, in a big tech firm and it's for, it's for money, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's great, but it's, it, it's for work. I put more emphasis on being creative and what that meant to me and how much that kind of kept me level um, back in, you know, in, in my high school days, you know, and, and growing up in general, you know, having that outlet. 
so tapping into that now, I've you know started trying to dive into different mediums, and I've started my own uh, little uh, design company uh, called Moof, and I'm uh, going to be rolling out some um, some T-shirt designs and some uh, some animation designs, and I'm really stoked about that because it's something that I've been wanting to kind of get on board with and kind of bring forward for a very long time. I'd say since I was like 17 or 18 years old, and it's been on hold for a long time because of my my want to be a, in the music industry and focusing on music and, and playing, in music, uh, playing in a band and touring and so on and so forth. So um, right now, it, it's really great to, to have that outlet and to see that emphasis in myself. So that's, I guess, I guess that's my full blown elevator pitch uh, in a nutshell. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's start with the really important question, which is what the fuck is a move? <laughs> I love that. Um, so my, um, so my mom, uh, when, when she, when, you know, she's still alive, God bless. And she's doing healthy and she's doing great. Um, but my mom, uh, back when I was a child used to call me Mufalu. That was her like pet name for me, I guess. Mufalu. Did that mean uh, anything? No, it has no meaning. Okay. It's, it's complete gibberish. And, uh, so Mufalu ended up turning into short Muf. And so my, uh, my mom, uh, always calls me Muf all the time. So when she calls me up, she's like, Hey Muf, how are you? And I'm like, I'm doing good. So I was like, uh, you know, what's personal to me? What's something that I, I, I don't mind listening, hearing every single day of my life. I was like, <laughs> oh, it's, what my, it's what my mom called me, Muf. So, uh, that's, that's it forever. And, uh, and uh, she was really happy to hear that I named the company Move. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> what part of New York City did you grow up in? Uh, the Bronx, man. So, like, I grew up in um, like around the Soundview area. Okay. Uh, and um, <clears throat> you know, growing up out there was was interesting because you know, um, it, it, I've never really kind of fit into any particular scene, you know. It was like we had this uh, certain vibe where it was like uh, you're either hip hop or you're metal or alternative, right? And I think I individuals and, and folks who are just influenced by different things can kind of have the ability to blend seamlessly in different in different groups of people. I think that you're that kind of person that could do that as well, just blend in. And, and I've done that, and uh, it's been like really great to you know grow up there. But I've I've had my you know my my you know getting on the train with red hair and you know ufo pants and all this <laughs> stuff I had on the time and just getting jumped man like i was getting jumped back in the day you know so it was a uh, growing up in the bronx it, it definitely gives you some thick skin you know uh but like uh that's where i grew up man soundview area you just take the six train every single day to go to school and uh yeah that was my life man that's good i think that's what some people don't understand before cell phones when people didn't run the risk of getting busted for doing yeah. anything like you get your ass busted oh yeah people would not give a shit oh no no, no. I, I used to get jumped i mean I, I remember i remember back in the day that was this it was this one instance where um i was looking particularly uh outrageous that day. <laughs> I, I had like a i had like i had full fiery red hair and i had like uh, like a lip piercing and i just looked i like i had like a corn t-shirt on i don't even I don't even know what I was wearing, but I was out there. You know what I'm saying? Like, and for the South Bronx or the Bronx in general, that was very, you, you didn't dress like that. You know That's right. Like, so getting on the train, I, I mean, I kind of knew what I was getting myself into, you know? Um, and, you know, you get called a lot of, a lot of, you know, shitty words, you know? And one, one thing that I, that I, that I realize is um, 
you know, homophobia for me was, was never an issue. I've never had that phobia in my life because I've been called a faggot from the beginning of time. Getting, getting on the train and, and, being, and being beat up by, by these pseudo-heterosexual males who were just intimidated by me looking differently, I automatically must have been something that they deemed to be a threat to their masculinity. Masculinity, oh, 100%. And, and, yeah, and, and, and it was just like some weird things. I, I remember just getting on the train, and I, would, I heard that for five, six years straight, just every single day. And I was like, all right, whatever. Like these guys just, they're insecure with themselves, but I'm happy with my skin. I'm cool with who I am right now. And uh, so yeah, getting on that train sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate. I understand. Yeah, man. Yeah. But, uh, but, but yeah, that was, that was, that was my, that was uh, my childhood. I mean, I had some good things too, you know, like my, my, my parents and my brother were a huge influence and tried to talk me out of it every single time. And I had good friends at the time too, but uh, yeah, man, that was it. So what gave you the, um, like the self-awareness to kind of be yourself from so young? Because when you're a teenager, I don't know, maybe I'm like projecting here, you want to fit in so bad. So being different, I feel like as a kid, being different really takes a lot of, uh, a lot of chutzpah. Like you got to really be kind of securing yourself to not roll with the flow of everybody else. Yeah. So if you were kind of on your own thing, as a young kid, like what, what was it that gave you that, that strength to kind of be your own person? Um, you know, that, that's a, that's a great question because, um, you know, I I would have to say that it actually does come from the influence of my parents and, and my mom. I have a very strong, uh, female figure in my life. My mother is, is she's the root of my, of my existence. You know, she has a huge influence on me and, um, and, and my mom has always, uh, you know, told me, be myself, express who you are and, and so on and so forth. But, and, and my father would always be more on the lines of, um, uh, you know, second guess everything that, that people are telling you what is what, you know, and, um, you know, and I think the combination of those two things kind of led me to just, uh, you know, r- really want to not fit into that mold, you know, and, and having an older brother too, and wanting to do things slightly uh, different, you know, I guess it, it is also a thing too. I, I never really reflected on that too much, but you know, my brother was very influential with me when it came to music, but, but when it comes to image, he was very uh, normal, you know? So, so for me, it was like, let me stand out from, from this thing. And that could have been, that might be a, a psychological <laughs> right? uh, yeah, reason for it. But, um, but I don't know. I, I I think it was the influence of my parents just really, you know, giving me that outlet of uh, becoming a free thinker. You know, they they were they smoked a lot of weed when they were. Younger. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> hey, hey, what are you gonna do? Right? That's right. That's right. Um. God bless. Yeah. So, how did art? How did art and music kind of come into your life? Because those are sort of your twin passions yeah i mean um you know i i think back of like you know i've always wanted to be involved in like rock music or metal and i don't even know where the urge to to really get into that music kind of came from like i know like my father was into like um uh, thin lizzie and he 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 was into like fugazi and he was into the who 
um, my parents loved Queen a lot. So I, I led Zeppelin. Like, so I heard rock and, you know, in the house a lot, but getting into like metal and wanting to play music and, you know, that, that my, uh, like that particular far edge that I went into, I don't know where that came from, but, um, my parents, um, uh, my dad w- went to the same high school as me. He went to LaGuardia High LaGuardia? School. LaGuardia, okay. Uh, and he, he went to LaGuardia for, uh, for music. Um, <clears throat> and he, um, he played the clarinet. Me and my brother also played the clarinet in, <laughs> in, in, in our, in our school. As family well. tradition. Yeah. You know, there was a, there was a <laughs> family tradition of clarinet players. <laughs> That's funny. Um, it, it, it's funny because uh, there was a teacher. I went to uh, um, Albert Einstein um, Junior High School in the Bronx, IS-131 it was called. And uh, I had this professor named uh, Mr. Butler, and he was the leader of the all-star band. He was the, the, he was the music teacher. And uh, me and my brother, uh, we were in the all-star band. Uh, we, oh, one year overlap because he was older than me. Mm. But that's where I learned to read and write music. And, and that's when I learned how to sight read. And I, I was opened up to uh, different genres of music like jazz and blues. And I remember playing satin doll on the saxophone and thinking like, oh, man, look how cultured I am. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I know jazz. I know jazz. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that, Mr. Butler was such an influence to, to me, I think, at a younger age without me even really realizing it. You know, just we played the Mission Impossible theme song live, and I thought that was so fucking cool, you know? like it, That's kind of dope. Yeah, and, and, and he actually recently, we actually followed each other recently on, on Facebook, and uh, he's, he's doing well. But uh, yeah, man, that, that was a huge thing. The All-Star Band was, uh, was a big influence for me. Good. Um, so LaGuardia, for people who don't know LaGuardia, like if you're a certain age, it's the fame school. So the TV show and the movie fame right. was from yeah. the early eighties was based on LaGuardia, but so many New Yorkers from like Slick Rick to Nicki Minaj to, you know, like the list of alumni from LaGuardia is so like star studded. What was like, Cause like I went to a nerd high school, but you went to like an art nerd high school. Yeah. What was your experience with all of these actors and theatrical people and singers and you know, what was that like? Were there people like, were there like flash mobs in the hallway every day? Were there like, <laughs> what, what was uh, that even like? So I was doing a lot of drugs in high school. So uh, just to, just to let you know off the bat. So I was in the art the pro- program, so shit was different, right? Wait, what, what, where, when did the drug start? Uh, I mean, like, freshman year of high school, smoking pot, right? You know, uh, up to senior year, taking, you know, LSD and the whole nine. See, people don't understand, like, I'm such a nerd when it comes to that stuff. Like, I was a very innocent child. So yeah. just the fact that people are like, people are like, well, yeah, I was drinking and smoking weed and doing all this shit in high school. And I'm like, yeah, was, that wasn't me. Like, I'm just curious, like, how does this, for like a 14 year old, like, how does that decision even like get made? So I, you know, it's, it's funny. Cause I think that LaGuardia high school in, in a nutshell, it, it was really interesting because, you know, and I think this goes with every high school and just being a, being a kid or growing up in general, the people that, that are really important to you 
in one point of your life mean nothing in a few years down the line. Oh, absolutely. Right? And, um, and, and, and they're the most important thing for that one period of time. They serve their purpose, whether it's growing or learning lessons, right? Um, but then they're completely gone. I'd like to think that I retain no true friends from high school. Zero. Okay. Um, and, and that was kind of the surface level understanding of what LaGuardia was really about. LaGuardia was um, an area where you needed to fit into a particular type of person, whether it was the, <clears throat> the, the, the rich white boys that lived in, you know, midtown Manhattan and came to school with their decked out, you know, fancy clothes from wherever the fuck they were shopping. <laughs> or, or, <clears throat> or you had like the folks that were in the metal scene or the art scene and they were, you know, couldn't, calling everybody conformists like in South Park. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and then like you had like that in between grade of people. And then you had like the hip hop folks who like just didn't really want to mess with you. And then you had the drama kids who like were never real people. They were kind of always characters. Not, they were not really there. You know, they were just something else was happening with them. And I think that it, it was like, you know, LaGuardia time period was such a blur where like, you know, you, you date this person, you're friends with this person, you have one summer with this girl and one summer with this good friend of yours and this guy, that guy. And then like, it, it just, you graduate and then poof, it's all gone. And like, and, that, and now you're reduced to uh, a handful of uh, Instagram likes, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. so it, it, it's weird for me to, to, to kind of gauge like how important LaGuardia really was to me because all I, I don't remember, I don't really remember much of it standing out as much as I got a degree and I had, I met people, I learned some lessons. I did some experimentation with drugs and I did some experimentation with art mediums and then I graduated and then that was it. And then life happened, you know? So it, it's not fancy. It's not this, it's not, there are stories of people who, uh, just to clarify, who did make it successful out, out of there. Uh, there are some folks that like turned into being great business owners and became uh, really good actors and, and this and that. But um, they, I'm sure they don't really keep in contact with anyone either. So it's just like, it's like here it is and then... It's gone. That's gone, yeah. Huh. When you left high school was your mo like okay i'm gonna get the fuck out of the bronx was your mo like i want to see different parts of the country the world what, what were you trying to figure out you know when i left the first thing i thought was i need to go to college but, um uh yeah so i guess the first thing i wanted to do was you know get out of uh you know, get out of, uh, of New York, but I, but I, but I wanted to really, uh, you know, go to college and make sure I got my degree because, you know, my parents really, you know, put that on me where, you know, you need to get your degree in order to be successful in life. Right. Right. And were and, you still, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go, please go. Were you thinking about doing like the business thing or were you still falling like, I'm going to either do art or I'm going to do music? Uh, I, I completely gave up on art at that time it, it was, it was, um, it, I, I saw folks that were after hearing stories about artists who were, who were not really successful and who were losing all their money and this and that. I just didn't see the point in 
subjecting myself to mediocrity. And that's how I felt at that time, you know? And um, if I could go back, I probably, I probably would still make the same choice, but I, I wouldn't approach it, approach it in such a, a damning way. Where okay. it was like it was where it was like this or nothing, you know. I, I would have allowed myself a little flexibility, which I didn't do. Um, but you know, the the one thing that I'm gonna try to relocate back yeah. to my seat now, so that I could <laughs> sit down and chat. And if I cut out again, I I, I really apologize. Don't sweat it. Um, you know, and uh, I I went to I went to school, and then I started getting my degree in advertising. Uh, and when I was getting my degree in advertising, I was there for about uh, two years in a four-year program. Mm -hmm. And then um, <clears throat> I got this opportunity to um, – uh, you know what? Let me back up because this is a fun story, and I hope we have time. <laughs> and we got time. Um, we got time. Okay. Um, so I was playing in a metal band at that time. We were called Regain the Heart Condemned. Long, long metal band, and I don't, I, yes, 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 I know, I know. <laughs> it's like does not roll over the tongue. Easily. No, no one's caring about it. We were, we were okay. We weren't even that good, you know. Um, and but, but my my basis at the time was dating this woman who was a very good uh, pianist, and she was uh, working with this composer named Daniel Bernard Romain, DBR, mm -hmm. who's a very famous black uh, uh, violin player. And composer he is a genius this man and working with him was phenomenal but um this this we they were dating and she's like hey i'm working on this this um this uh this um like a i guess this show and the guy wants the guy who's in charge of it wants to uh the choreographer wants to have this new element of like metal or edgy music into it Okay. Would you be, would you guys be interested? And, um, sure enough, like we were, we were all like, yes, there was another, there was actually someone else in the band at that time. Cause I had left temporarily and then they actually kicked him out and brought me back in. Um, and so the answer was yes to find out that it's actually, it was actually, uh, with the world famous choreographer, Bill T. Jones. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm familiar. Holy shit. Yeah. And, and Bill T. Jones, um, he, uh, he, we, we were part of this show called Another Evening I Bow Down, which was, um, it had a lot to do with like, uh, with uh, spiritualism and, and so on and so forth. But I took a break off of college, a year off of college, just to tour a year straight with this dance group. Wow. With this show called Another Evening I Bow Down. And we traveled to all over Europe. We went to Brazil, Asia, South America. It was like um, it was one of the best best experiences of my entire life, and playing with like and meeting these people who who especially Bill T. Jones, who is just a, a, a fucking genius. I mean, this guy speaks and like everything he says is articulate, and he's just why can't he run for president right now? <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and it, that that you know perspective, like I wish that I would have came out of that. Um, with with the same urges I had, it gave me that feeling of like when I first went to uh, art school, and like I was so into art and I was so being expressive and I cared about things, um, and I had that back. And then once it was over that year, I had to go back to college, had to re-enroll again. It was uh, it, it completely faded away again. It went back to 
got to get my degree, got to pay these uh, bills, got to do this, got to do that. <laughs> right. I, it's like he went from this super artistic world expanding experience and then jumped right back into like a practical, super, super practical mindset. Yeah. And, and then I was completely envious of the folks that were still doing it. You know, <laughs> like I, 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 I look at, I look at the people who were these dancers who are um, this one dancer, Eric Montes, who's uh, he's a, he's a very famous Mexican dancer uh, mm-hmm. living. In, he's living in Brooklyn right now. Um, but he, uh, uh, he, he was such a sweetheart and he's like one of my favorite people, I think on earth. And he, um, you know, he really took me under his wing while we were out in uh, touring, the, the, touring the world. But I see him now, you know, he, he's um, him and his husband are married and they have a beautiful home and they, and they had the ability to like make that work and make that artistic lifestyle work for them and made it work beautifully. And I'm like, ah, maybe I, maybe I should have kept it up, you know? <laughs> you know, it's weird. Most of the people that I've spoken to so far have some kind of artistic background and yeah. some of them have made a living out of it. And some of them have gotten like a more quote unquote regular job. Um, and it's such a toss up, like, some piece of luck kind of has to be involved in order for people to be able to make a living out of any kind of artistic endeavor. Cause it's not just a talent thing. Like it's kind of a draw, a, a bounce of the ball. Right. Like, um, so, I mean, I don't know if you can say one way or the other, what would have been like the perfect decision. I mean, I, it sounds like you just kind of went with what you felt was the right thing to do at the time. Right. No, no you're right. Yeah. And you know, and, and the one thing I, I thought of, um, in retrospect now too, is that um, diving back into it and trying to become more and in, more involved in, in any art medium at my own pace. I think that was it. I, I, I didn't want to do it for someone else. I didn't want to create as like a, I didn't want to get a nine to five job designing, you know, like I, I didn't want that. Like the, the idea of passion and creation comes from the individual and I wanted to have freedom to do that. And it, so finding a job, creating like, Oh, I got to create this portrait for this lady or this advertising campaign for this company that I don't give a fuck about. Right. Excuse my language. I don't know if I can curse. You but. can curse as much as you want. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that's just not something that's appealing to me whatsoever. I could work a nine to five job for that. And I could, and I could have that distance of passion, you know? So, so me starting it now and working that and, and coming into my own, uh, you know, it, it's from learning all of those, those, uh, envious moments throughout history <laughs> of me wanting to go back to it and never doing it. So but that's what I'm at. That brings up a really interesting to me question, which is if you're super passionate about something and you make it your job, at some point, does it become, does it always become less of a passion and more of a job? Like if I was like, okay, so you're, you were a musician in a band like touring. Yeah. But you also had a job. I think you were in music at the same time. Yeah. Did you like lose passion for being a musician because you were working in the music business? A hundred percent. Okay. hundred percent. It was, um, it was, you know, the, when, when you're, you know, for me, when, when I was working in the music industry, working at an independent label, um, uh, the end records and also then going into the orchard, Sony music, um, you know, it wasn't, it, and also being in a band, you know, the, the veil kind of gets lifted. Right. You get to see behind the curtain. Yeah. And, and you're sitting there like, oh, okay, well, we're, we're literally numbers, you know, we're, 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 we're first week sales, we're stream numbers. Like, 
were, were marketing plans, you know, and I wish I would have never seen it, you know, because like the passion that I had for music at that time really got diminished. And, 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 and I'm not, and this is not to, to, uh, shit on the music industry in any way, shape or form. I love the music industry. I think that well, distribution and labels and the whole thing is just beautiful and so inviting and so cool. Um, you know, but it, it definitely spoiled it for me a little bit where, um, that, that this going back to what I was saying before, where the creation that you're having should be, you know, for you and it's something that you should own and it should be very personal. Music is still that, but then you have these elements that kind of take it away a little bit. You know, it's like, did you meet your, did you outsell this person? Did, did you get on that streaming platform or that playlist that you should have gotten on, you know? And it, 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 it just kind of took it away, you know? And, 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 and I, and I, and I believe me, I respect and I love folks who can just keep going and, and keep it going. And that's their passion and they live, they live it and they love it more power to them. Um, and, and sometimes getting on that and seeing the successes for that is more of like a drug where you're like, Oh, I got it. Let me try sure. it. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, it was the opposite. It was kind of a complete turnoff. So, so that's why I actually didn't give up on music because I, I had a label and the whole nine and I still have it still right. have it. and um but it's going to be more of a of picking and choosing you know what I want to do and it's going to be more vanity projects than anything else do you, I mean I, I guess you kind of answered the question art and business never really seem to go like a straight line like they don't fit together necessarily yeah like it just seems that when business gets into the picture and look I you know I am not a musician um, but I understand where the push and pull is, but it sort of feels like you have to sacrifice a piece of yourself or sacrifice a piece of your art in order to make the business piece kind of fit in place. Yeah. And that's and, sad. That's yeah. Sad. You know, some like, people can do that. Some people can't. Yeah. You know, uh, it, I, I've seen, I've seen, you know, I mean, you've seen, dude, we, we've been, we've yeah. been around like uh, people who, who are just very good at that. You know, they're very good at seeing, at, at feeling the, at, at balancing the artistic integrity of themselves and the business side of themselves. Right. Very good at this. And like, I, it, it just like that for me is like, if I'm going to be balancing the business side of it, I want full control over it. And, and I, and there's so much in between with music, whether it's the manager or the booking agent or uh, the distribution company or the label or the, the merch company and this and that, there's so much involved that I'd rather just take that aspect of controlling this, but dial it down on a smaller scale and have full control over what I'm doing. Right. And I think that with, with, with a, you know, creating my own art, that's something that I just want to do myself and selling that, um, you know, that, that has been, that's been exactly the medium that I found doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up, one of the first stories I remember hearing from you is you were talking about being on tour and as, you know, (laughs) as, as a Brown person who was a metal fan, which is kind of weird to me because like, shout out to all my metalhead friends at Brooklyn Tech who are all Puerto Rican. Um, like it's gotta be weird being you know, kind of sticking out a little bit in that scene. Dude, 
I got I got stories for days on <laughs> this. This is um, that I have, um, you know, th- th- we're talking back in 2012, 2011, uh, th- maybe even early 2008. Um, you know, there were, we, this was not, what we're seeing now, I saw back in 2008, 2009. In terms of like politics, you mean? In terms of open, open, blatant racism. Okay. You know, back then it was, it was, it was, um, there was a little bit more of a, of a hesitation to state things, but the oppression was always there. The, the looks were over there, but now they just wear a hat, a red hat that really shows you where they stand. You know, um, there was, there was one time, and I'm I'm gonna dive into that story because this was this was the worst one. So I'm on tour with my band, and we're all Puerto Rican, by the way, all Latin. Mm-hmm. Um, some of us look whiter than others, you know, uh, you know. But but we're 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 all Puerto Rican, and we're on tour with a band called Fatality, and Fatality was a hardcore band from New York City as well, all Latin guys as well, except one white dude, right? Okay. Um, and we're in, I think we're in Pennsylvania, but we're like in the outskirts of Pennsylvania, like, you know, where they start burning crosses and things like that, right? So we're out there and uh, we're at our friend's house and we, we're leaving the next day. So we're getting loading into our vans and we're loading up our equipment because we didn't want to leave it outside overnight because then it's like, you know, it might get broken into, whatever. Sure. Um, uh, then we have a garbage and we throw our garbage away in like the garbage can that was right outside of the, the apartment. We drive up the road, go to a gas station. So we're going to fill up our gas, gas tanks behind us was a, a cop car pulls up behind us. Right. And I'm in the driver's seat, but we're not, we're, 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 we're at this point. We're like, we finished loading gas and now we're getting like snacks and food and shit for the road. Right. Cop pulls behind us and I go, Hello, officer. Like you know, uh, you know, you're blocking us in. You know, we we gotta we gotta get out. And he goes, "You're not going fucking anywhere." Oh boy. And I was like, "Okay." And he goes, "I need everyone's license and everyone everyone's IDs. I need everyone lined up here right now." And we're like, "What what what do we do?" You know. So like, so he starts asking me like he's like, uh, "Where are you? What are you going? What are you doing?" I was like, "Well, we're in a band. We're touring. I'm being 100 percent with the guy." You know. Sure. I have no fucking reason to lie to this guy, right? <laughs> and and he's like uh, all this crazy shit. And uh, then then Etienne, who uh, who's my my best friend, and he's the guitarist of the band as well. He he went to he he was went to Yale, so he's like, let me pull out my Yale ID and see if I can get something like get some use some privilege on this. this right. shit, right? Um, guy didn't give a fuck because we're Puerto Ricans, so he doesn't give a shit where we went to co- co- high school, college, or whatever. Um. So we tell them, oh, we're in the band, we're torn, we're this and that. Everything inside this van is ours. Like, it's our equipment. You can look at it. He's like, he goes, listen up. I could take you guys downtown, inconvenience the living shit out of you. And he goes, I need you to be straight with me because the lie detector test right here. And he points to his chest. Oh, God. He goes, the, lie detector, the lie detector test right here is saying something's wrong. So we're like, okay, I don't know what to tell you because everything we said was accurate, you know, and we had like t-shirts and merch and shit like, bro, look at it, you know, and no lie. He calls for backup, searches our pockets, calls for backup, finds nothing wrong. And then we get a police, a three car police escort out of the small town of Pennsylvania. All because someone called the cops on us. 
because we were at a gas station. A wow. Couple, couple, yeah, a couple of brown folks. And that and that's one. I mean, I, I got I got hundreds of those, but <laughs> but that one to me was the funniest one. That was the one that didn't have any slurs in it. So that's why I told that one. <laughs> How fucked up is that, man? Dude, I couldn't even we couldn't even buy fucking Pop Tarts and Gatorade out of a gas station. <laughs> Like what's happening? That's why when people are telling me, like, you know, I see people are getting up, like, uh, you know, I have like a lot of, I have some conservative friends, you know, and they're like, you know, they're saying like Kaepernick is this and that. I was like, all right, buddy, you have no fucking idea how life really is. Is yeah, in any way, shape, or form. So, wow, you live you learn, man. And, I guess. Uh, yeah, if we if we want to turn this into a five hour session, I can keep telling you about racist shit. Yeah, I, you know, we can change stories. It's all good. All right. So you had all this experience and now you find yourself kind of outside of music and outside of New York. Yeah. In the space of like a year and a half. Yeah. What a change. Yeah. So it's like, and I don't know how much you want to delve into the relationship part, but it's like new city, new job and relationship. Yeah. So it's like Uh, you're a new person. Yeah, man. I, I think that um, when it comes to uh, my recent life changes, and I want to say recent, but it's really been like almost two years. Um, it's a, I, I didn't kind of realize how, um, I guess, how self-destructive I was for, for many years. Um, you know, I, I'm the kind of person that has always felt that... Um, at, I, I've always avoided my own mental health. Okay. I've, I've always been the kind of person that has put the, the, you know, whether I was in a relationship with someone or whatever the case may be, uh, to kind of put their needs before anyone else's. I think I've done that for many years. Um, and it's kind of been something that bit me in the ass when I sat back and kind of realized, like, what, what am I actually doing? doing here that benefits me right and you know i saw things my mind was elsewhere i was not i was not in the now i was in a in a uh, in a relationship and i was also in a professional relationship that i deemed very unhealthy for me and it and it was it was difficult to make that choice to just kind of uproot and re- redo it all start over Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in, in retrospect, it was truly the best decision I think I've ever made in my life because, you know, having, having that weight off my shoulders or having my health just be better, you know, and having uh, my mental health, uh, not even be better, but more so just be aware, you know, of, of how, of how, uh, self-destructive, cra- crazy, and just insanely not paying attention to myself. I was just not aware and um, getting, getting kind of out of that, taking a step back and, 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 and making that selfish choice to, to just change it all um, was, was the best move ever. Cause I, I haven't done that ever. And, um, and I needed to. And, uh, and when I did, I, it's, it's been great. You know, I, um, I left uh, uh, New York city and I, I uh, started over, again, here on the West Coast and actually found my way to the Bay Area. Um, 
And when I was out here, you know, I, you know, it was working in and out jobs that just didn't really care for to finding finally something that I've, that I truly am proud of, um, which also allows me to have that division between, you know, work-life balance, which is something that I never had before. You know, it's like going to shows all the time or having to worry about this and worry about that. And like, I, I, I go to work in the morning, I get my work done and the afternoon I'm done with my work. And I focus on what I want to do with my personal life. And that is something that I've never really had the ability to truly put emphasis on. And, and, and now is the first time I've ever been able to do that. And I'm very blessed that I have that, especially in this time period where folks are not having a lot. And, um, and, and I, I couldn't be, and I hate to say this, but you know, I, I've also been, I've also been, uh, in a state of being where I need to understand that it's okay to be happy for myself, you know? It's, it's so weird to me, like, you know, I, I, and I thought about it when you said selfish and so many people look at being selfish as a bad thing and it can be, but I really do think that a lot of people think that putting others before yourself and making that sacrifice kind of makes you more noble when I think if you take care of yourself, it's easier to take care of other people. Right. Um, Like you shouldn't take care of other people or think about what other people are going to think and then kind of neglect yourself. Um, Being selfish is not, most of the time is not a bad thing at all because uh, somebody in my family used to always say, it's like, if you don't take care of yourself, who's going to take care of you? Right. That's right. And, uh, and I've always, I've always looked at it as being selfish and uh, the same exact mentality. And uh, you know, telling myself that I could be happy for myself. I can say I'm proud of what I've done. I'm, I, I'm currently really good right now. But stay, saying these things, I, I don't know whether it was my inability to see it or just not having it previously, but uh, expressing that I've never actually said that until now, 35 years. And, and now being like, I'm, I'm fucking happy and I'm proud of what I've done. Uh, you know, that, that to me is I'm, I'm comfortable now in my own skin saying that. I mean, some people never get to that point. So that's, that's a big plus for you. I mean, was there like a breaking point when you were, cause like I, you know, obviously I know you were friends and there was definitely a period when I was like, okay, Chris isn't like the happy kind of jokey person that he was when I met him. <laughs> like something's fucked up. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, coming out of a, a very uh, hostile, uh, rough relationship uh, two years ago um, at this point was was probably uh, one of the one of the biggest turning points I think in my personal life. Um, you know, being in something for so long and uh, knowing knowing deep down inside that it's just toxic to the core on on, on both ends. You know, like we just a, a complete lack of uh, respect towards each other and. Um, you, you don't realize that you you just you, you get to a point where you're just kind of going with the motions and you're kind of just what's what's familiar and what's new what what's new doesn't exist what's familiar right. and that's it familiar and uh it just it just getting out of getting out of that was the hardest decision i've ever made um and uh and easily the best decision I've ever made in my entire life and not at, and not because of any fault to parties involved, you know, it, it, there's no blame to put on here. You know, I think it's more of like, it was just 
so evident how toxic it was and that we've just let it slide for so long that making the choice to move on was so it's just like the weight came off my shoulders you know and um coming out here finding myself understanding where where i belong you know it was it was a it was a time period that needed some well adjusting and you know in, in that time period of finding out who i am and adjusting myself really well i've i found someone who's who's wonderful and and you know really fits my life the way uh it, i i want it to be you know and we we balance each other out really well and i'm i'm you know i'm blessed to have everything i have right now so this is this is my standard closing question that I've forgotten to ask the last couple of episodes. <laughs> yes, let's go. <laughs> what is what is what is the best piece of advice someone ever gave you? Shit. Damn, Mike. You're really going <laughs> to really put a guy on on the spot like Putting that. Putting you on the spot. <laughs> um you know, it's actually kind of funny cuz I I could dive into a lot of times that uh, my parents have said stuff and, um, and just, you know, they, they've given me life lessons my whole life, you know? So I, sure. that's, I'm just going to lump them up into one. <laughs> they're, they're beautiful. I love them, but um, they're not, they're not this. My brother, um, jokingly, always jokingly would say, you can't make an omelet without cracking some eggs. Right. And so I'm always just like, okay and i'm like young and i'm like what the hell are you talking about you know? <laughs> and, then like, and then like he said it when i was when i was when i was moving out here and i was going through a lot you know at the time um he's like you know you can't make an omelet without cracking some eggs and i was like holy shit there it is <laughs> you're right since then <laughs> <laughs> you know and i i lumped that in as being like um you know everyone goes through a lot of hard times and we always have these things that we aspire to do and and with every aspiration comes a shitload of obstacles and, you know, getting over those and persevering and try to fight through them sounds cheesy, but man, it, it, the payoff is so fucking worth it. And, um, and anyone who feels like they're being completely uh, pigeonholed or held back by fear or whatever the case may be, um, you know, try your best to kind of overcome it because the outcome is always, is always worth it. Even if, even if it's not a hundred percent, the, the the sense of a uh, of of a uh, uh, fulfillment uh, or self gratitude you get for trying it or attempting it is it, just it, it feels good man and and don't be afraid of failure man because fucking failure makes you better every time you fail that shit just like comes back I've learned so many lessons coming out here in the last two years that I could ever have learned in my entire life I've crammed in growth in 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 a, in a very short period of time and and you know. I'm really happy that I cracked the cracked some eggs, man. <laughs> What's the uh, the other uh, cliche? I've heard that omelet thing before too. Yeah, <laughs> um, like pressure makes diamonds or whatever it is. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah that's real good. I like that one. You know, take so, that coal. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you just gotta you know you gotta go through some shit in order to achieve uh, something. You gotta go through some ugly to get to something pretty. You know what I'm that's, saying? That's so true, man. Like, yeah. come on, look at fucking. Uh, Osmosis, bro. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. I don't know. <laughs> um, so plug your shit. I'm, oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, hey guys. So, um, I have been I'm I opened up a uh a web store. Um, it's uh it, but you can find me on Instagram, Moof 
draws, move underscore draws on Instagram. Uh, link is in the bio. Uh, I've been selfishly creating my own artwork and I really hope that you love it. So far, we've been making some pretty good sales on t-shirts and I'm, I'm really stoked about it. And uh, it's just freedom, man. And I, I'm looking to, to just promote that as much as I can. So, so well, we will be on the lookout for more MOOF stuff. <laughs> and, you know, maybe we'll come back and do like a tour of racism tour stories with Chris Cruz. Dude, I can, that that is a four hour segment. You don't even know. I'm ready for that. Like I do with every guest, I want to thank Chris for his honesty and his transparency and his willingness to talk and share things that people don't share enough and people don't share regularly. So big shout out to you, Chris. If you want to check out his artwork and potentially maybe buy some of the stuff that he draws, uh, you can follow him on Instagram at moof underscore draws. That is M-O-O-F with an underscore and then D-R-A-W-S. No, it is not an underwear company. Draws is actually the physical act of drawing, not draws as in the first thing I think of when I think of draws. Anyway, if you want to know more about detoxicity, follow me on Instagram. It is It's Mike Joseph. If you enjoy what you've heard, whether this or any other detoxicity episode, please follow us on or subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast. Leave a rating, leave a comment, anything you can do to amp us up. We greatly appreciate it. And I want to give a particular special shout out to all of the trans people of color right now, it's so hard to just live your truth for anybody, right? It's hard to live in your truth. And these folks, the bravery that it takes for you to acknowledge the fact that your spirit belongs to a gender that does not outward that you know your body does not outwardly represent is like i it's one of those things that i you know i fill in a lot of check marks i fill in a lot of boxes right and that is one box that i don't check off and the amount of courage i i imagine it must take for these people to live their lives truly i just have so much admiration and you know i i didn't come up in a I mean, I didn't come up in an affirming environment for any person that was not straight. And it really wasn't until maybe like 10 or 12 years ago that I really started to meet people who were trans and really started to understand what it was all about and appreciate and respect them. Um, so it's never too late. A, I guess that's the lesson from that. B, you can be a minority or in my case, multiple minorities, and it might still take a while for you to understand the experience that other minorities that don't have a relation to you might go through. Um, but I, I read a statistic recently that really, really disturbed me. And it was that the average age of a black trans person is 35. And I grew up, you know, as a, as a black person, as a black man thinking, well, as a black man thinking that my life would be shortened due to violence. And then as I realized the ramifications of my sexuality and the era that I lived in at the time, I added AIDS to that list of things that I thought uh, would lead to an early death. And then being mentally, having to deal with mental health challenges, I also 
just kind of wondered when I was going to just get sick of all the bullshit and take my own life. But 35, and I'm, you know, sitting here now as a man in my mid-40s, for the average age to be 35, something is really, really going on. And there have been several trans people in the last few weeks that have been killed by police officers. And I just want to highlight a few charities that you can give your time or your money to that cater to trans people and particularly trans people of color. Um, so there is the LGBTQ plus Freedom Fund. There is the Transgender District. There is AVP, the Anti-Violence Project, which I have worked with uh, over the past four years or so. Uh, there is SNAPCO. Uh, SNAP stands for Solutions Not Punishment Co. Um, there's the Black Trans Travel Fund. There is the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. Uh, Marsha P. Johnson was an activist um, from the 60s and 70s that was a pivotal person in the Stonewall riots that began the gay pride movement. Um, the Trans Women of Color Collective, uh, Trans Justice Funding Project, and House of GG, um, also founded by someone who was involved with, this, with the Stonewall Riots, Miss Major Griffin Gracie. Um, you could donate time or money to any of those, and also just to read up on what being trans is about if you're if you don't have access to actual trans people. Um, and just sort of understanding what they go through and some of the challenges that they face. Um, once again, I have so much respect and admiration for uh, my trans brothers and sisters and people who decide to opt out of gender entirely. And um, empathy and caring and understanding is ultimately what's going to save this world. So, and bravery. You know, the good kind of bravery, not the bravery that makes you... Uh, walk around in public or go to the state capitol with AK-47s because you can't get your nails did. Bravery that makes you face so much torment and and opposition for just being who you are in your skin and still being positive and still trying to live your life to the best of your ability. Again, just the amount of... I, I keep saying it over and over. The respect and admiration I have is off the fucking charts. And with that, I'm going to close up this particular episode of Detoxicity, and uh, I hope that you all stay well, keep fighting the fight, and I'll catch you all next week. Peace. Peace.